Let us pray. Give me Jesus. That is the answer that anybody should look for in this world. What is the meaning of our existence? What is the meaning of life? Can it only be by pure coincidence that time and matter could get together and provide the beauty that we have around us? Simultaneously, life in the ocean, life on the earth, plant life, bird life. Lord, we know this is what the scientists are confused about. The Cambrian explosion. We suddenly, in the evolutionary timeline, just life. We know why. <laughs> because it's you. In the midst of all of the creation story, that the world tells us we know that God interceded because it's yours. You made it, everything, by your will. You said, let there be light, and there was light. Because whatever you say will happen, because you are God. Can we know who you are? Not really, anytime here. Can we fully understand you? No, impossible here. But what we know is that you come to us in human form and human terms that we may understand something about this God that wants to have relation with us. We thank you for stepping into our world. We thank you for bowing down to small people on this creation of yours that we can call you Father. Bless us as we seek your will in all we are, in all we do. And as we continue to worship. Amen. Go with your gut. I, I think all of us have heard that expression at some point in our lives, isn't it? You need to make a really important decision. You do not know what to do. And then friends or family will say to you, man, just go with your gut. Now imagine I would say to Louise at some point, you know why I married you? I went with my gut. <laughs> and now my gut is really empty. So going with your gut is that sense that all of us have when things are just a little bit off, isn't it? And I, and I think you can trust your gut somewhat. But can I always trust my gut completely? Or can I trust my instincts? It's the same sort of thing. I think it's sort of the similar exp expression. That all of us, when we are sometimes exposed to a situation where I need to make a decision, am I going to walk down this alley? I'm going to trust this person. Am I going to do A or B? I, I have this sort of uneasiness in me, and I'm not really sure if I should yay or nay, and I think, no, okay, maybe not, because there is this, this feeling of I should, not, I should not go. The problem is, uh, can you really trust your gut? <laughs> can you really trust your instincts? Oh my, I know of many guys that got really in trouble because they trusted their instincts. Now, instincts are not always the, uh, the, the best thing uh, to trust. So trust is an important part of our life. So how does trust work? I found a definition on uh, uh, Merriam-Webster. Uh, trust is a, an assured reliance on the character, ability, strength or truth of someone or something 
one in which confidence is placed. <laughs> and I, I chose that picture there specifically. You know, these trapeze artists, every time when I see them, I say to Louise, oh my, you can't have an issue with that guy in the morning that needs to catch you in the evening, you know. Because he can at some point just have his hands around his back and you go flying. You need to trust that person that he or she is going to catch you. That's difficult in this world, isn't it? There was a time, I think, when it was a little bit easier to trust people. There was a time when I think, for some reason, I do not know, maybe people were a little bit more religious. Then people said that they would do something, they would actually do it. And when they said, you know, you can trust me, you could actually do this. But it's getting more and more complicated. Because I think all of us have been really disappointed in people that we thought we could trust and then we found out later, but it didn't really work out that way. And then God. Then there's the issue about God. You know, all of us have an idea about who this God is that we worship. We, we come to him in our prayers when we say, Our Father who art in heaven. And I normally, when I sit with people and I talk to them about God and they, and, and they struggle about life, I would say to them, we've got a Father in heaven. And then we have this song that we sometimes sing, The Good, Good Father. So our expectation of God is to be this great person in our lives, like a parent, a parent that loves us more than any other parent can ever love us, and, and that this God will only bestow good things upon us, and He will protect us and provide for us, and all these things that you and I expect of God. But the problem is that many times it doesn't really work out that way, especially when we are suffering. And this is the latter part or the last sermon in my short series about lament and about suffering. And many times when people are in a moment of distress, that is when you really start to wonder about God and if you can really trust Him. And that's why I've got this bracket there that broke. You see, um, look at that bracket. It's a huge metal thing, but a part of it broke. We trust when we walk into this building that the ceiling won't fall on our heads. Uh, some of you sit behind, uh, below these lights, and, and you, you need to trust the guys who made the metal for those um, cables up there and those chains up there that they will last through this worship service. So don't move now. I think they're all good. But that's what we normally do, isn't it? We trust certain things, but we know that anything can sort of break. And I've had someone once say to me, I think God has broken many times in my life. Well, I thought I could trust him, and it didn't work out. There's the story of this guy that was, uh, he was on a trail like George and I heard that we are going to work, walk on Pun Hill. That's in, in the Himalaya mountains. We may see Everest. So this guy was walking on this trail and he was on his own and his foot slipped and it was dark and he sort of fell off the side. He was hanging onto this little tree and he yelled. He said, is anyone up there? Quiet, silence. Is anyone up there? And at some point, a voice came and said, I am here. And he says, who are you? And the person said, it's me, God. He says, God, can you help me? God says, I can help you because I'm God. He says, God, what must I do? How can you help me? And God said, relax, I've got it. Just let go. Silence, the guy said, is there anyone else up there that can help me? <laughs> so we're going to look at Psalm 13 today. I think that can give us the biblical answer about how to deal with God in the middle of trial, difficulty, and suffering. 
The psalmist say, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It's a psalm of lament. And I've been talking to you in the last few weeks about lament. And if you've missed it, you can go and watch the last few sermons about lament. What I, in the first sermon, said that to cry is human, to lament is Christian. So there's something different than only crying, because lament means that there's a Christian aspect in how we then deal with our suffering. Suffering. Lament, we heard, is to cry out, and this is what we see in this psalm. This person is crying out, and I told you to cry out aloud to God. That's part of our way of dealing with suffering and pain, and God is to talk to Him aloud, speak to Him, complain. The questions, how long? And you can see this. That's what I spoke about a few weeks ago. We, all these questions that we have about God and why and how long and all these things, we can ask those questions to God and then the complaints. We can actually come to God and say, I have these issues with you, and I spoke about that last week. But then there's this turning point that this psalm now brings us to, and this is the last part of lament where all of us need to end. And the last section is to trust God. To trust God. You see, will He really be this pillar in the middle of a storm to me. Can I really trust him that he will come through for me when everything around me seems so dark and desperate? How can God get me out of this after I've prayed continuously for this not to happen or that it is now happening with me? What can I do with this God in my life? Is he really what you tell me, Ferdy, on a Sunday? that person in my life that I can trust. The psalmist starts off, and I'm not going to preach too long today because we've got something else that needs to happen. He talks about our state, or his steadfast love. You see, when we talk about your gut feeling, or to trust your instincts, it all has to do with an emotion. Now, our emotions are important. There's this, there's this, this sense, the sixth sense sort of that we have that we know we can trust a little bit. And I'm not, I'm not in any way disregarding, disregarding that completely. But the problem is when we think about God, we need to be very careful about our feelings. Because many times we feel abandoned by God. Many times we feel that God has rejected me. Many times I have all these feelings that God is not listening to me, He's not really hearing my prayers. But can I really rely my understanding of trusting God on how I feel? Or do I need to base it on something different? 
And I think what the Bible teaches me is I need to base it on my knowledge of the Lord. You see, when I'm exposed to a situation that's very difficult, and, and my gut tells me, I don't think you should go, and I start to really research the situation or the person or whatever, and it goes on, I may be completely wrong because the facts will prove it differently. So what the psalmist is saying is, he says, I'm in the middle of a crisis in my life. He's suffering. Psalm 13 is, uh, Psalm 13, <laughs> sorry, I'm speaking of Afrikaans here. Psalm 13 was written by a person who's not doing that well. And eventually he comes to the point now and say, the only thing that I can remind myself of as a fact is the fact that God loves me. That's what I need to know. I need to know, and I need to remind myself that, that God came into this world because of his love, not only for Abram, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all the people in the Old Testament and all the people in the New Testament whose names we know, God came into this world for you and for me. You know, many times when people read the Bible, they say, well, these are amazing biblical stories, and those people must have been very special because that's why God was so involved in their lives. I want to promise you today, you are as important to God as anybody of those who are. Well, of course you are. That's the story of the Bible. It's a God that says, I care for you by name. I made you. I formed you. I know how many hair, if you have any, you've got on your head. But I know everything about you. And it's not only that God says this, but God also came and he proved this in Jesus Christ. So when I'm really going through a very difficult time in my life and I feel so far away from God, I can say to myself, I can trust God with the outcome of this situation because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Because in Jesus, God came and said, I, I care for you. I care for you so much that I sent my son to die for you by name. Not for a, for a faceless crowd of people, but for you individually. The second thing. I rejoice in my salvation, this psalmist say. Why is God here? God is here because he loves us. But there must be a purpose in the reason that God is involved in us. Because I can say I love someone, but, but then I get involved in that person's life in some way, shape, or form. So what is the purpose of God's involvement? God's purpose in His involvement in our lives is to save us. That's way more different than only loving us. To save us means that there is an aspect that I need to always remember, and that has to do with the kingdom of God, and that's why I've got Paul's name there. You see, Paul in Galatians chapter 3 was writing a letter to the Galatians. He says, I want to remind you how it happened that I could introduce you to Jesus Christ. In chapter 3. He says, I was terribly sick. He was extremely sick when they brought him into Galatia. He said, I was so sick that I thought you guys would reject me. Because during those times when you were very ill, people thought the God you believed in was punishing you. So stay clear. You don't want to be involved in this person's life because his God is not happy with him. He says, in the middle of this crisis that I was in, I could tell you there's a God that cares not only for me, but also for you. A God that wants to bring salvation not only to me, but to you. And what we forget is Paul was on his way to Corinth. Paul was actually on his way somewhere. He got so sick, 
His whole plan was disrupted. He had to turn away from the coast, go up the mountains, and they, had to, they tried to save his life. That sounds familiar in many ways for us. I've got this great plan for my life. I've got all of these things lined up, and then something, suddenly things start to go wrong. And I say to God, what are you doing? I'm on my way there, and you are now doing all of this nonsense. This can't happen. And God says, Ferdy, Ferdy, hang on, hang on. You are important to me because you're my child. But hey, man, my kingdom is way better and bigger and more important than your story. I can't let my kingdom suffer that you can be blessed in this situation. You are always blessed, but I am now going to make you go through trials and difficult things because my kingdom as a whole is way more important than only what is the best for you. That's maybe the reason why we sometimes struggle with God so much when we are not doing well. Because we forget that God is building a kingdom that's going to last, last for eternity, and I'm only building a kingdom that may last, or a life that will last maybe 60, 70, maybe 80 years, that in the big scheme of things are, are limited. He dealt beautif- bountifully with me. We have a lot of things wrong in our understanding of God. So, so when you and I wake up in the morning, I expect my day to be just great. Uh, I'm a very positive person, so every day when I wake up, I think, it's going to be a blast, yay! And Lord, I'm on my way, and please, you know, you, you run behind me and you bless me. Furdy, furdy, furdy. That's what you do. You, you just push me along and you take care of me. That's totally wrong. Do you know why? We see God's involvement to provide for us good things as how it should be. I'm so cool, I'm so great, God, you just need to spoil me rotten. Do you know what the Bible teaches me? I'm a sinner. I deserve death. I deserve the opposite. You know, there are a number of books on lamentation, the whole book of lamentations, but there are other sections in the Bible, not books, other sections in the Bible about lamentation. In the book of Job, Job at some point says, I'm a broken person, I do not deserve anything. When his friend said, you need to cast God and die, he says, I can't because God is God, but I've got nothing to claim. Because just being alive is a gift of God because I don't have anything that I can stand before God to offer for Him to give me all the wealth and all the pleasure and all the great things in life I want. I'm not deserving. Do you and I really understand the gift that God has given us in life? Do we really know how much God loves and cares us to give us everything that we have every single day while we're supposed to deserve on the other end? Nothing. And when things go wrong, I'm upset because that's not how it's supposed to be, but it's the opposite way around. I need to wake up every morning and thank the only holy living God in the midst of a trial or a suffering for all that I still have because that's a gift. That's what the psalmist is saying. You have dealt bountifully in overabundance. You have given me way more than I deserve because we are actually not deserving of anything. Because we are broken, sinful people. So what is trust? It's not a feeling. 
It's a choice. This is stupid. Uh, there at the Grand Canyon, they also have this thing. And Luis and I have been at places where they've got an elevator going up a very tall building, and the elevator is made of glass, and the floor is glass. I always try to find another one that at least has a floor that's sort of solid, seems to me. I've got a little bit of a fear of heights. I really don't like those things. So to step out onto that thing there, that's now George in the Himalayas, to step out on that thing there, you, you need to have some trust in the glass, in the brackets, in the bolts, in the people that designed the thing. Now you can say, oh, many people have stepped on that thing, but I promise you, you will see a video of one of these not doing that well, maybe one day. So I stand there and all my friends say, go, my gut tells me not to go. What I'm doing today, I'm asking you to trust God, not because you feel like trusting Him, because you can. You see, this is the definition of trust. An assured reliance, and that's, that's from, a, from a dictionary. An assured reliance on the character, the ability, the strength of truth of someone. You come and you tell me that's not God that they are describing there. That is the God of the Bible that I see in this definition. Because there's nothing in God's character that can ever, ever, ever be wrong. There can be nothing wrong in God's ability to do whatever He pleases. There can be nothing wrong with the strength of God and the truth in God that we discover. We just need to trust Him. That at the end of the day, He's someone that is building a kingdom. And I'm part of His story. A story that will be completed the day when you and I die and I stand before Jesus. But until that story is completed, my story will be surrounded with good things, but also with a lot of suffering. And when the suffering comes and the darkness comes and the difficulty comes and emotions wants to tell me there is no God, He doesn't love you, He doesn't care you, don't trust your gut, trust God. And how do I trust God? Because I've got this. And trusting God means that we trust this book with all our hearts and not to change or to remove anything from the Scripture. Because I trust that every single thing that God tells me in this word of Him about how I should live, what's right, what's wrong, what's sin, what's not, I will trust Him with all my heart. Because He's God. And I'm not. And therefore, when life comes to you hard, when you feel down and out and you say, I have no idea, go back. Seek knowledge. Turn to your word. Complain. Read. Pray. Read again and you will discover there is a God whose character, ability, strength, and truth is there for you by name. Amen.